0: Soft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 31, Their Reward By degrees, Gibby had come to be well known about the mains and flash glass rock. Angus's only recognition of him was a scowl in return for his smile, but, as I have said, he gave him no further annoyance, and the tales about him were dying out from dire sight. Jean Maver was a special friend to him, for she knew now well enough who had been her brownie, and made him welcome as often as he showed himself with Donald. Fergus was sometimes at home, sometimes away, but he was now quite a fine gentleman, a student of theology, and only condescendingly cognizant of the existence of Donald Grant. All he said to him when he came home, a master of arts, was that he had expected better of him. He ought to be something more than heard by this time. Donald smiled and said nothing. He had just finished a little song that pleased him and could afford to be patronized. I'm afraid, however, he was not contented with that, but in his mind's eye measured Fergus from toe to toe. In the autumn, Mr. Galbraith returned to Glass but did not remain long. His schemes were promising well, and his self-importance was screwed yet a little higher, in consequence. But he was kinder than usual to Genevra. Before he went, he said to her that as Mr. Mocker had sunk into a condition requiring his daughter's constant attention, he would find her an English governess as soon as he reached London. Meantime, she must keep up her studies by herself as well as she could. Probably he forgot all about it, for the governess was not heard of at Glass and things fell into their old way. There was no spiritual traffic between the father and daughter. Consequently, Geneva never said anything about Donald or Gibby, or her friendship with Furnissi. He had himself to blame altogether. He had made it impossible for her to talk to him, but it was well he remained in ignorance, and so did not put a stop to the best education she could, at this time of her life, have been having, such as neither he nor any friend of his could have given her. It was interrupted, however, by the arrival of the winter, a wild time in that region, fierce storm alternating with the calm of death after howling nights in which it seemed as if all the poltergeister of the universe must be out on a disembodied lark the mountain stood there in the morning solemn still each with his white turban of snow unruffled on its head in the profoundest silence of blue air as if it had never in its life passed a more thoughtful peaceful time than the very last night of all to such feet as genevra's the cottage on Glacier Gar was, was for months almost as inaccessible as if it had been in saris more than once the dar was frozen thick for weeks Every beast was an absolute prisoner to the bar, and for months was fed with straw and turnips and potatoes and oil cake. Then was the time for stories, and often in the long dark, while yet it was hours too early for bed, would Geneva go with Nissy, who was not much of a racate, to the kitchen to get one of the other servants to tell her an old tale, for even in his own daughter and his own kitchen the great lair could not extinguish superstition. Not a glimpse did Geneva get all this time of Donald or of Gibby. At last, like one of its own flowers in its own bosom, the spring began again to wake in God's beautiful world, and the snow, like all other deaths, had to melt and run, leaving room for hope. Then the summer woke smelling as if she knew she had been asleep, and the two youths and the two maidens met yet again on Lorry Bank with the brown water falling over the stones, the gold nuggets of the broom hanging over the water, and the young larch wood scenting the air all up the brae side between them and the house which the tall hedge hid from their view. The four were a year older, a year nearer trouble, and a year nearer getting out of it. Geneva was more of a woman, Donal more of a poet, Missy is nice and much the same, and Gibby, if possible, more a foundling of the universe than ever. He was growing steadily, and showed such freedom and ease, and his motions were all so rapid and direct that it was plain at a glance. The beauty of his countenance was in no manner or measure associated with weakness. The mountain was a grand nursery for him, and the result both physical and spiritual corresponded. Janet, who better than anyone else, knew that what was in the mind of the boy re- feared him as much as he revered her. The first impression he made upon her had never worn off, had only changed its color a little. More even than a knowledge of the truth is a readiness to receive it, and Janet saw from the first that Gibby's ignorance at its worst was but room vacant for the truth. When it came, it found bolt nor bar on door or window, but had immediate entrance. The secret of this power of reception was that to see a truth and to do it was one of the same thing with Gibby. To know and not, not do would have seemed to him an impossibility, as it is in battle idea, a monstrosity. This unity of vision and action was the main cause, also, of a certain daring simplicity in the exercise of the imagination which so far from misleading him reacted only in obedience. In the summer, Mr. Galbraith, all unannounced, reappeared at Glass but so changed that startled at the sight of him. Geneva stopped midway in her advance. Long, thin man was now haggard and worn. He looked sire too, and more suspicious. Either that experience had made him so, or that he was less equal to the veiling of his feelings in dignified indifference." He was annoyed that his daughter should recognize an alteration in him, and turning away, leaned his head on the hand whose arm was already supported by the mantelpiece, and took no further notice of her presence, but perhaps conscience also had something to do with this behavior. Geneva knew from experience that the sight of tears would enrage him, and with all her might repressed those she felt beginning to rise. She went up to him timidly, and took the hand that hung by his side. He did not repel her. That is, he did not push her away, or even withdraw his hand, but he left it hanging lifeless, and returned with it no pressure upon hers, which was much worse. "'Is anything the matter, Papa?' she asked, with trembling voice. "'I am not aware that I have been in the habit of communicating with you on the subject of my affairs,' he answered. "'Nor am I likely to begin to do so, where my return after so long an absence seems to give so little satisfaction.' Oh, Papa, I was frightened to see you looking so ill. Such a remark upon my personal appearance is but a poor recognition of my labors for your benefit. I ventured to think, Jenny," he said. He was at the moment contemplating, as a necessity, the sale of every foot of the property her mother had brought him. Nothing less would serve to keep up his credit, and gain time to disguise more than one failing scheme. Everything had of late been going so badly that he had lost a good deal of his confidence and self-satisfaction, but he had gained no humility instead. As yet Mr. Galbraith was but overwhelmed with care for his self. That he should behave so cruelly to his one child was not unnatural to that self with which he was so much occupied. Failure had weakened that command of behavior which so frequently gains the credit belonging only to justice and kindness, and a temper which never was good, but always filling the chain, was ready at once to show its ugly teeth. He was a proud man, whose pride was always catching cold from his heart. He might have lived a hundred years in the same house with a child that was not his own, without feeling for her a single movement of affection. The servants found more change in him than Genevra did. His relations with them, if not better conceived than his paternal ones, had been less evidently defective. Now he found fault with everyone, so that even Joseph dared hardly open his mouth, and said he must give warning. The day after his arrival, having spent the morning with Angus, walking over certain fields much desired, he knew of a neighboring proprietor, inwardly calculating the utmost he could venture to ask for them with a chance of selling. He scolded Genevra severely on his return, because she had not had lunch, but had waited for him, whereas a little reflection might have shown him she dared not take it without him. Naturally, therefore, she could not now eat, because of a certain sensation in her throat. The instant he saw she was not eating, he ordered her out of the room. He would have no such airs in his family. By the end of the week he arrived on the Tuesday. Such a sense of estrangement possessed Genevra that she would turn on the stair and run up again if she heard her father's voice below. Her aversion to meeting him he became aware of, and felt relieved in regard to the wrong he was doing his wife, by reflecting upon her daughter's behavior towards him. For he had a strong constitutional sense of what was fair, and a conscience disobeyed becomes a cancer. In this evil mood, he received from some one all his life, Donald believed it was Fergus, a hint concerning the relations between his daughter and his tenant's herd boy. To describe his feelings at the bare fact that such a hint was possible would be more labor than the result would repay. What? His own flesh and blood, the heiress of Glashrock, derived pleasure from the talk of such a companion it could not be true when the mere thought without the belief of it filled him with such indignation he was overwhelmed with a, a disgust he did himself the justice of making himself certain before he took measures but he never thought of doing them the justice of acquainting himself first with the nature of the talks they held but it mattered little to for he would have found nothing in that to give him satisfaction, even if the thing itself had not been outrageous. He watched and waited, and more than once pretended to go from home. At last, one morning, from the larch wood, he saw the unnatural girl seated with her maid on the bank of the river, the cowherd reading to them, and on the other side, Gibbie lying listening. He was almost beside himself, with what I can hardly define, in a loud voice of bare command he called to her to come to him. With a glance of terror at Nissy she rose, and they went up through the larches together. I will not spend my labor upon a reproduction of the verbal torrent of wrath, wounded dignity, disgust, and contempt, with which the father assailed his shrinking, delicate, honest-minded woman-child. For Nissy he dismissed her on the spot. Not another night would he endure her in the house. After her abominable breach of confidence, she had to depart without even a good-bye from Geneva, and went home weeping in great dread of what her mother would say. Lassie, said Janet, when she heard her story, gin ony body be to blame it's myself, for ye loot me kin, ye guide, whiles we hurt yer bonny missy, to hay a noose wi' Donald. And I saw and see Notchdatt's wrong until it. Nissy, however, had not long to occupy the closet, for those of her breed were in demand in the country. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.